Before the next episode of XJob Downloaded starts, I have a big favour to ask. If you've enjoyed any of our episodes so far, please can you click on the follow button on your platform. I'm on Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon and YouTube. It costs nothing to follow, but makes a real difference to me as a podcast producer. Thank you. This interview is being tape recorded. My name is Paul Maleri and this is XJob Downloaded. And today I'm going to interview Rebecca Walker. Now, Rebecca is a former police officer and now a historian, tour guide, historical researcher. Uh, let's put it this way. You've put your time to good use, haven't you? It's it's funny. Before I retired, somebody who who got to retirement before me said to me, when you retire, you'll, find, you'll wonder how you found the time to go to work. Yeah. And that's absolutely spot on. Yeah, I've I've almost got I say too much to do if you like, but it's of my own making. Yeah, and do you know what? If you've got an active mind, we're all guilty of it. I've got an active mind, and I can't sit still. Uh, it drives my wife absolutely nuts because I'd rather sit and, <laughs> and research and work than I would watch yeah. watch rubbish television. But mm-hmm. but where did it all begin for Rebecca Walker? What is Rebecca Walker all about? Where were you born, and how did you get? to your journey in the police service okay well i was i was brought up in a little place called hatch end and i always say well it's pinna harrow because nobody has ever heard of hatch end um but i contrived to be born in hertfordshire mainly because when my mum went into labor dad went to the end of the drive and turned left instead of right and we were very close to the, the hertfordshire border so i ended up being born in watford a few years ago now um it's funny, I moved house down to down to Sussex uh, about three, three and a half years ago. And when I moved, I found an essay that I'd written probably when I was about 11 or 12 about what do you want to do when you, when you grow up? And I'd actually written in there that I was interested in the law. And I'd, I've known in later years I've been interested in the law. I didn't realise it started that early. I'd forgotten. And that either I wanted to go into the police or to be a, be a lawyer. Um but I went uh, probably quite a circuitous route to it, I would think. Uh, I didn't actually join the police until the month before my 30th birthday. Oh, so okay. I, was, I was quite a late joiner. Um, I'd done other things. I'd done A-levels. I'd gone on to university. Faffed around for a bit, not really knowing quite what I wanted to do. I did have a stint for a few years as working in admin at the Royal Ballet School. Oh, which lovely. Which probably a bit, bit left field, very, very different. And yeah. Was, just to date it a little bit, it was when Darcy Bussell... Um, was a student there. Wow, I've so seen her dance. Ago. <laughs> that's how long ago. And then I, I did a stint uh, in corporate investigations, supporting investigations, and then joined Sussex Police in 1993. Oh, okay. I love ballet. I mean, it sounds really... Yeah. Any Anybody that knows me well think, hold on, this this bald-headed bloke who looks like an extra out of a gangster film. <laughs> he, But I do. I absolutely love the raw ballet. I think it's the, mm. it's the best spectacle... I've I've ever seen absolutely yeah. brilliant. Yeah. But what was the actual inspiration to join Sussex Police? Um, I'd been I'd been doing some some temporary work. I'd, I'd left the Royal Ballet School. I worked for a little while in corporate investigations. I'd ended up going off and doing some temporary work for a, like a private investigation firm. And I thought, well, now's probably the time because I'm looking at these people going out who had background in Royal Military Police or, or in the police itself and had retired. And I thought, actually, I could I could do that. Cool. Um, so that that was really what prompted my my application. And I lived I lived in Sussex at the time. So it made sense um, to stay local. And where did you go to? Started off, it was when they were still doing like the, the block learning. So it wasn't done in house. So you go down to Lewis for your first, I think, two weeks. Yeah. Um, and you get sworn in you get your uniform and your warrant card and your ID card, do a little bit about the law, and then you were unleashed on your division for, I think it was a week or two weeks, which knowing nothing, you knew nothing, but you were wearing the uniform. So I remember being out with, um, I think they put you out with various departments. So I was out with the traffic officer one day, we went to a bit of a prang in Crawley, and I'm stood there thinking, not quite sure what I'm supposed to do here. And and somebody walks up to me to ask me something. I'm like, oh, please, please don't ask me anything vaguely important. 
and basically they they found some keys so even for that i had to kind of get the, the traffic guy over and say what, what, what do we do with this because you were unleashed with with not very much knowledge at that point um but then you went off to ashford ashford police training center yes. um which is now i think some sort of adventure center for, for scouts and what have you um wasn't like that in my day so you did i think it was three months there went back to division went back to your force for a month and then went back to ashford for a month right yeah i went to i went to ashford yeah. and um, there are lots of sussex officers there so mm. where did you what was your first posting though where did you go to as a probation over teeth well, oh, okay. mid-sussex as it was called then i was at haywood teeth so very much a mix of rural and it's obviously got the town in it so it's a real mixture haywood teeth I actually really liked it there, but we were a, a really small. I mean, people complain today about you know single crewing <laughs> and we don't have enough people. Um, my section, there, there were five or six of us on it. Wow! And yeah. obviously, if people took, I mean, the, you know, this is 1993, 1994. Yeah. Um, so you know, you once I was allowed to go out on my own, you know, you'd, you'd be out there in the the fields and lanes, driving around on your own, dealing with things with really patchy radio reception you could not guarantee your radio would always work um and i think the police the police for me was a great education in being a learning the ability to be being able to talk about anything for a long length of time so if you're standing there waiting for another unit to come um you do develop the ability just to, to chat away to keep somebody distracted from fighting you perhaps or running away but but that is the ability of the of of, play, of a police officer. The the level of communication is such that whether they were a, a director or, or or you know head of a bank or whatever it is, or the, you know somebody sleeping rough, you had that ability to communicate at the right level. Yes, I'm not sure that yeah. that still sits. But anyway, mm. how did you find that though? You've gone in as a as a, a thirty year old. You're an mm. adult compared to some of the, the the people that have joined. They're quite, you know, some, and I was yeah. one of them. I was 21, quite immature. Mm. How did you find that? Mm -hmm. um, I think I perhaps fell on my feet a bit with that because the the group that I joined with in Sussex, so there were only 13 of us. We were quite a small intake, and mostly it was people who'd done other things. So they were that little bit older. I mean, one of the people who joined with me, she was a rejoiner. She'd been in Sussex. She'd had to leave, as were the rules, when she became pregnant. Yeah. Um, she had a history of being a CID officer, so so she came back. Uh, she re had to rejoin and go through it all again. Uh, and she, I think she was a little bit older than I was. So we did have quite a grounded group. Ashford was probably different because you did, again, experience a whole range of people from different forces of different ages. Um, but I, again, we had. We, I think it was. I think it was fairly dominated by people who'd been other places, done other things, or yeah. a little bit older. Because I, I do remember one day when when I went back for the second second lot of Ashford indoctrination. It was just at the time when the police service was going a bit, a bit more towards sitting around in a circle and talking about things rather yeah. than your chalk and talk way yeah, yeah, yeah. way of teaching. And we went into class one morning before the trainers arrived and a chap who was ex-army from Tones Valley Police, he just said, I've had enough of this, sitting around like this. And so all of us got our chairs into order. So we all sat as, as though we were in a classroom. Yep. And the trainers walked in and looked a bit, oh, we don't really know what's going on here. Uh, and as was used to be the way at Ashford, if anybody wanted to say anything, they put their hand up in class and then we stood up when we were given permission to speak and then sat down again. Yeah. And yeah, there was that little bit of a craving for the old, we're half doing the discipline because you salute senior officers when you see them around the campus. But then in the classroom, it's all kind of, yeah, just let's just sit and talk about Facilitation. it. Facilitation. Yes. Yes. Very much so. Which sometimes doesn't sit easily when, you know, you need to, you need to know the law. Yeah, of course you, know. you do. Yeah, you well, one of the things I always used to say to people when they joined was make sure you know your powers. Yeah. That's the most important thing, knowing your powers. And do you not find it frustrating now? I, I don't like auditors. I don't like these people that go around and audit. You know, they, they do the social, stand outside a police station and wind up the coppers. But I just wish that when I saw an inspector the other day where a person's there taking a video outside of a, a police station and the inspector walks out and says, you can't do that. 
Well, why can't I do that? Well, there's no law that says you can't do that. There's a way of negotiating it. But this inspector didn't know their power. And I just thought this is a sad indictment Mm. because we knew, and even now I know my definitions verbatim. Oh, yeah, many many a happy hour learning definitions are being tested on them on the Monday morning when you back, went back to Ashford every week. Well, and if you wanted to become an actor, you you could do it by learning as a police officer because you could you can <laughs> le- you learn your lines. That's how it, how yes. it was. Yeah. When when you've gone to Haywards Heath, how long did you serve there? I was there probably for about 18 months coming up 2 years. Um I went off then to be a beat officer at Crawley. So I looked after largely the northwest corner of Crawley. So I was the main contact for Langley Green, uh, which has a predominantly Asian population. It still does. It did then. Uh, but I also looked after Ifield West Green. So it was very different from Hayward's Heath in terms of concentration of people, the difference in culture and, and that sort of thing. But I love Crawley, absolutely love Crawley. If you ask me my favourite posting, I'd say it was Crawley. Well, and of course, it's got it's got Gatwick Airport there. Yes. Which, yeah, that was my final posting at Gatwick because that's it? a little division all on its own. Wow. Uh, and I'll so, tell yeah. you, my other, my other fact about Crawley is that Robert Smith from The Cure was from Crawley. Okay. Yeah. But, yeah another famed family are the, the Minters. You remember the, the boxers? Boxers, Alan Minter, yeah. Yeah, the, the Minter family, uh, a Crawley family. Are they? Wow. Yeah. So yeah. You've, you've, you've done Crawley and you've got... I suppose there's a lot of people there that would have been working at the airport because it would have been a, a, a massive draw and probably still is. That's right. And they were they were still building bits of Crawley at the time. There's a spot called Maidenbower, and I used to absolutely dread being sent anywhere off my beat, particularly Maidenbower, because they were still building it. And I remember being sent to a, an audible alarm in Maidenbower one day, and the control room said, we can't really help you with where it is because the, the street that allegedly it's on, we, it's not on our map, so we don't actually really know <laughs> where, where it is. And I remember going up there and, and winding the windows down on the police car and just listening for this thing. Uh, so, yeah, they were still building bits of Crawley, and, yes, yeah, quite a few um, quite a few aircrew living there. And, and lots of people who, when Crawley was a new town in, I think, the 1950s, had come down from South London. So there were still those connections uh, with, yeah. with, with, with London, strong London connections yeah, and for many people. Direct route into London from there on the train as well, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. And, and so how long did you carry out that role? Oh, I think it was, it was coming up three years when I left Crawley to go to somewhere radically different. I was still doing beat work, but I went to Forest Row, which is just outside East Grinstead. Oh, OK. Uh, very much a rural beat. You've got the Ashdown Forest there. Yeah. Um, very alternative in many ways. You have the Rudolf Steiner School, which has a particular form of education for children. You have the Scientologist School there as well. Uh, so yeah, radi- radically different oh, wow. again from Crawley. I saw who did somebody went to the tried to do some filming outside that school, the Scientology school, and they they got short shrift. Mm. I was watching something recently. Did you do your time as a uniform officer because you were a police search advisor as well, weren't you? Yeah, I started in police search in, I think it was, I think I did the course in 1995 and I kept that ticket all the way through my service, which I'm I'm particularly proud of. And I started off as a search officer, but at that time they were called counter-terrorist search officers. Yeah. Uh, predominantly because there'd been the Brighton bomb down at Brighton yep. Conservative Party Conference back in the 1980s. Yeah. Search had really come into into being at that point on, well, on the UK mainland. There were search activities in Northern Ireland. They decided, really, we need to start applying some of the techniques from Northern Ireland in this country. So they set up the Police National Search Centre, which was at Brams Hill, I think. It, it might have started actually at Chattenden Barracks with the, um, with the Royal Engineers. And then I went on the course at Brams Hill. Uh, when I worked my way up to police search advisor. So I did the the, the legwork because you, you have to do searches, first of all. You have to be a search officer before you can then progress to being uh, the police search advisor. So, I mean, I did a huge variety of searches down in Sussex from, from murder scenes. I was on the team for a little while for the Sarah Payne inquiry back in oh, 2000. Wow. 
um, party political conferences were still going on, Operation yep. Otter, so got deployed on those. And how long does it take to get qualified as a pollster or a search advisor? The, you start off as, as your search officer, so especially search officer, and you do um, a week's course with the Police National Search Centre where you're, you're trained by a mixture of pollsters and Royal Engineers. Right. Because uh, a big element of the course is still around bombs. <laughs> yeah. So you look at bombs, missing person and crime searches. And the next stage on when you've been, when you've been a search officer is to go to the pollster course. And when I did it, it was a four-week course. So you spent three weeks on crime and counterterrorism and a week on missing people. And uh, people don't realise the depths or how much work takes place when they carry out, even searching a sterile cell, because we used to do that you know, on a regular basis when I was a custody manager, we'd have the cell searched. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of work goes in. It, it doesn't. People don't just walk in and say, "Oh, yeah, look, there's a there's a untidy office," and walk out half an hour later. It could take a few days to search. Oh, so I know, and I wish more senior officers understood that. I think they think it just just happens by magic. And but you have to do certainly in the planning stage. You're going along. You're looking at the environment you have. You're identifying risks. So if you're in an older building, something like asbestos, you know, is that present? How are we going to get around searching those areas? Uh, what access is like for people, and then actually looking at the tools you're going to do the the job with, whether it's using dogs or explosive swabbing or manual search or endoscopes and and that sort of thing. So you learn a vast amount on on that course. You really do. Oh, absolutely. It's interesting that you say about the senior management because my argument as a detective, people always thought that once you'd done the arrest, the the whole job, that was it. They didn't realise that there was a search... Yes. Team, certainly on major crime, and yeah, yeah it, uh, the job has only just begun when when yeah. when the, when the someone's been charged or been arrested, and then you're up against the clock. Yes, did yeah, you, that's right. Did you ever undertake any mutual aid work? Yes, um, one of the best searches I ever went on. It's one of those ones. It was before the days of you know camera phones, and I wish I wish now I'd taken a, a camera with me. But we went on mutual aid to Surrey for the Epsom Derby. Right. And it was shortly after the Grand National. I think uh, the Grand National, the course, had been evacuated because somebody had phoned in a bomb threat. Yep. So they decided to search uh, the grandstand areas and the course, and it was a night search. And I'm not not sure. I mean, today today Surrey and Sussex worked together very much, but there were two separate forces then. I'm not sure if Surrey thought, Right, we'll give Sussex the Queen's suite of rooms because then if something goes wrong, we can blame Sussex <laughs> for it. Uh, but we had the Queen's suite uh, into, together with other areas. So we got the, the bit where, well, it's the King's suite now, the bit where the Queen used to stand on the balcony. Yes. There's a suite of rooms behind there. And we got to search that room, the Queen's toilet, the Queen's kitchen and all that sort of thing. And a vivid memory for me because my, my parents were really into horse racing. They loved horses. And a vivid memory for, for me was going in there and there's a book that sits on the on the table on the side and it goes back oh, as, as early as photography started, I think. And it's a photograph of every Derby winner with the jockey and it's signed by the jockey, the trainer and the owner, each picture for each. Oh, wow. And you think it just sits on the side or it was sitting on the side in that room and you think... How is this still here? Yeah. You know, so yeah, that that was that was a good search, and we went up to Manchester for the Commonwealth Games as well. Right um, on the pre-search and seal for that, so we we did get to go various places. Yeah, yeah, I, lucky. I think they do it a bit more now than than we did, but th- those were the two that stick in my mind. Well, I worked on a, a murder of a, a young lady by the name of Danielle Jones, and I just remember oh, that yeah. there was a huge amount of mutual aid um, yeah. from the search perspective. But I remember, I, I think I heard a talk from the, the pollster for Daniel Jones, yeah. actually, because we used to, we had to re-license, to stay in license, you had to go back and re-license. And also on the initial course, you had an awful lot of good talks from pollsters. So we had, uh, I'm, I'm fairly certain we had the Daniel Jones uh, pollster come and talk to us. Brilliant, brilliant lady called Heather Alston was um, a pollster on, on that. Right. Absolutely. I mean, a phenomenal job and the amount of work that took place. Yeah. Months, you know, eleven months of searching, 
never ever yes. never ever found her body. Very sad. <laughs> but you say about cameras when the when the plane crashed here um, in Essex, the Korean airliner. I carry a camera <laughs> everywhere, and at that at oh. that time it was a, a film, and I've got pictures of the of the crash site. Of mm-hmm. it's sad, but you know we talk about history, and we'll come into that. But that yeah. is that's what yeah. we build history from. You know, it's um, yeah, and and I think the one. The one thing I wish I'd done more of, when we went to Manchester on the Commonwealth Games, I took a little disposable camera with me, but I just wish, you know, obviously staying within the rules, but I wish I'd, I'd taken the camera with yeah. me more. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think these days the modern the modern way of people taking photographs of dead bodies on their phones no, and things no, like that, that's no. unforgivable. That is, but absolutely. To, to capture yeah. historic yeah. moments away from that... Yeah. Um, I think that, and, and we're lucky as police officers. We're often at the forefront mm. of historical moments, um, and you, you you become a bit. I, I say blasé about it. You know, we used to. I mean, when I transferred to the city, the types of searches there were really different from the types I'd had in Sussex. So I was involved in um, Margaret Thatcher's funeral, the Jubilee searches. Um, was involved in some of the planning for the Queen's lying in state. Um, and and the sort of the run up to that, and yeah, you get you get access. It's like access all areas yeah. almost. It's, I mean, I, I've been up. If you go up into St Paul's, St Paul's actually has two domes, and you could walk around within the two domes. I mean, you, you probably wouldn't want to because you disturb a lot of cobwebs and and uh, spiders. But yeah, I've I've been up in areas, you know, buildings like that, and the Mansion House and the Guildhall. You, you don't you don't get access to if no. you're just a member of the public or no. there for other reasons. And people would pay money to do those additional tours. I know, yeah, I know. And you, you but what they can't take away, they can't take away your memories of doing those, and and the no. sights and sounds and the smells of the things that you've done. Yeah, that's very true. What year did you transfer to the city? Uh, Two thousand and four. And what what was the motivation to transfer up? Um, at the time, I was qualified to sergeant, and Sussex were desperate for custody sergeants, and they'd gone to centralised custody. So instead of kind of being sensible about it and saying, "Well, okay, you you live five miles away from this custody centre, we'll post you there," they were they were looking at I don't know trips across the county to Eastbourne or down to Brighton, and I just thought, do I really want to do that? And at the time, a lot of people were transferring up to London, mainly to the Met, which I never really fancied. Uh, but quite a few Sussex officers had gone to the city, City of London Police. So I met with somebody there that I'd known for ages and had a chat with him and ended up putting in putting in to apply to the city because I had some family issues at the time. So thinking that I'd be spending hours driving to Eastbourne and doing a, well, I don't know, 10, 12-hour shift in custody before driving home and then having to go off with... Sort of caring issues. It was. It was just like, no, I, I need to. I need to have a plan B now, which yeah. I need to activate. So, yeah. So I transferred up to the city, which was, is very different from a county force. Yes, yeah, it very is very. It's very very different. I mean, yeah. We used to we used to take the Mickey out of them when we were at Ashford, but um, <laughs> yeah. can't think why. But but it, I mean, it's, it's great, and I've got some lovely friends from there. Um, mm. Did you get promoted to go to the city? Uh, I ended up as a, I, I went as a sergeant, went qualified to sergeant because um, I just missed their process. Right. Um, but then did get promoted to substantive sergeant when, I mean, I was on division. So I was at Bishopsgate, which I, I know it is quite an old station now. It was built in the late 1930s and bits of it are falling to pieces. Bits of it are not quite as good as they could be, put it that way. Uh, but I love working at Bishopsgate. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of history at Bishopsgate. And I was custody. I did quite a lot, lot of time doing custody sergeant. So I was on division there. Right. Oh, I mean, it is. It's a, it's a great area. And mm. from a historical perspective, it's probably that area is the jewel in London's crown. The, the, mm. You know that square mm. mile. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I accept that you've got the other parts. You know, your Buckingham Palaces and all, all that. But mm. actually, for traditional history, the. Um, the guilds and all the things that go on yeah. on there. There's so much pageantry. The HAC. Yeah. Uh, you walk another half a mile and you're in Jack the Ripper's. In fact, part uh-huh. of Jack, part of Jack the Ripper was in in the city of yeah. London, wasn't it? So, yeah. it's Nice Square, Nice yeah. Square, and then you've got the city. Uh, you've got the Tower of London, and mm. all all the lovely things around there. 
yeah, yeah, very much the historic heart of London. The city is. Yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah, lo- loads of history. And you've got your Freeman's thing on the back behind you. Is it? Is I have. It? Yeah, 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 I got the Freedom. I think it was in. 2009 or 2010 something like that yeah, yeah lovely and that was that was through doing a lot of work with the corporation on things like searches for state banquets and yeah and yeah involvement with them planning for the big events big ceremonials yeah yeah fantastic yeah you you mentioned some of the iconic events that you've been involved in in policing and I suppose that you know the death of Her Majesty was probably right yeah. up there when it came to because I'm a royalist. Make no mistake yeah. that I am absolutely. I was in Australia when she passed yeah. away, and uh, oh. you know it was, it, I was very very sad. And I spent a lot of time for various reasons in Buckingham Palace. But mm. what was the highlight for you as a, as a search advisor? What was the highlight for you? Gosh, that's a really that's a really tricky one. Um, I suppose more more than just one general, one specific event. It's rather more general. I think for me was being involved in things like the big state occasions. Um, so I, I remember, irrespective of what people think about Margaret Thatcher, um, the city was a very sombre place on yes. the day of the funeral. And, and I know a pollster colleague, he was down at St Paul's and he said standing there doing the search arches with that bell tolling, he said it really was you know, very, very sobering. Yeah. Uh, but I think if I had to pick pick memories out, it, it would be being involved in the big state occasions. Um, I was also the pollster for an event called Chogham a few years ago, which is the Commonwealth Heads of Government meeting. Oh, right, yeah. Um, and, uh, it, it was quite funny because the Met didn't tell me this till afterwards. They said that, that there was a big um, reception held up at the Sky Garden at right. the top of that. The walkie-talkie Walkie in Fenchurch Street, yeah. Garden. And I think the, the Met was said, you know, this was the one that kind of worried us a little bit because it's a multi-occupancy building. And I ended up as the pollster for it. So that was a particularly memorable because you just had all of the heads of the Commonwealth there together with their, I think their, their partners accompanied them, their foreign secretaries there, the prime minister was there who was Theresa May at the time. Um, I think Boris Johnson put in a put in an appearance. I think he was foreign secretary, and yeah, huge huge responsibility. That's probably the standout one, really, for responsibility. <laughs> but you think about it, <clears throat> and we go back to our our privilege, if you like. You you've seen mm-hmm. people that most people only ever see on the television. Yeah, you've encountered these yeah. people, and 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 I don't take that for granted. Margaret Thatcher's funeral is a big thing because she laid in state, if I remember rightly, at the House of Parliament, mm. then she or laid in St Mary's Undercroft, then taken yes. to the RAF church, which is Church St Clement yes. Dane, and then they took her on a gun carriage from there to St Paul's Cathedral. And the, right. the guard that was in charge of the overall military aspect is mm. a man by the name of Billy Motts, who was a garrison sergeant major for London District. Yes. And he now lives in Tennessee, runs a, a military academy in Tennessee, and a formidable p- person. I've had the honour of, mm-hmm. of meeting him a couple of times. And you look at all the state occasions, he was the person that was behind mm-hmm. the Trooping of the Colour, for instance. So mm-hmm. we, the, nobody does it pageantry in the mm-hmm. UK. Nobody does it better in the world. Nobody. And I... I I rue the day that somebody tries to stop all these things from taking mm. place. Yeah, we, we do spectacle really well. And that was that was an interesting part of being a pollster for those sorts of things because you did have, you know, you went to planning meetings and the military were there and, yeah, you, you got a chance to see, to see aspects of other people's planning, um, other organisations' planning as well. But do you think, I mean, the public at large wouldn't understand how much work goes into this. All they see is people people pulling up drain covers and they don't yeah. understand. But sometimes there's conflict between the public, building owners and things like that, and the police because they don't understand the significance yeah. of what, what's taking yeah. place. Was that something that you ever encountered? Um, I'd say largely people were really good. Um, and certainly when I went to the Sky Garden, that you know, given all the issues that there could have been, um, yeah. Our relationship was superb. They they sort of really went out of their way, way to help me, and you know can't really thank them enough for that because that was a difficult job. I think I've had I've had one one event where the Queen was going somewhere in the city, and 
I mean, the security manager was very much on side, but he he did say to, um, I think it was the the bronze city bronze. Um, I didn't think it would take this long. <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, well, it's actually really quite a big venue, so yeah. And by the time you put you know dogs through it, and then people are searching it, and you're doing all your paperwork, you know, because obviously paperwork is a huge thing to know oh, yeah. who went where when, and that we've actually managed to do it all. Yeah. Um, and we were still working off paper, you know, in the same way when I first did custody in the city, we were still working on paper custody records. So yeah, a vast amount of paperwork. Were you there during 7-7 in the city? Yes. I I was on late turn at Bishopsgate, but trying to get in for late turn was the challenge because I, I still lived out in Harrow. Right. And I, I popped out shopping and I went back home and, and my dad was there and he said, oh, there's been this thing happening in London. This was about half nine in the morning. And I went off for late turn and got to the railway station. They said there are no trains. Um, so I actually walked from there to Wembley, which is a fair way. Yeah. And they just started to run the buses again. So I managed to jump on a bus at Wembley and I got as far as the west side of Paddington Green. And they said, we can't, we're not allowed in. We can't go any further. So I walked from Paddington Green to the city, which was really bizarre because I kept coming up against Corden, so I kept getting knocked off course and having, and I know London pretty well, so I was finding my way around, but I was one of very, very, very few people walking towards central London. Yeah. Everybody else was walking out. It was re- it was really odd. It was like, you know, mass evacuation of London. Here am I going that way <laughs> towards what's going on. And and we say, don't we, you know, officers run towards trouble and danger, and I think that that's lost as well on the public because they, they seem to forget that we still, yeah. they still have to maintain their job, wherever that job may be. Yeah, yeah, and I, I managed eventually to get to Bishopsgate, I think it was half past four. Wow. And then after that, we spent several days on cordons down at Allgate um, while everything was, was being processed. And, and again, a funny thing about the city, because people who work in the city tend to have worked there for years, you'd get people coming up to you at the cordon saying, well, I, I need to go that way through there because that's how I get to work. Yeah. And we're like, well, you can't today. Well, I, I don't know any other way. <laughs> so you'd be busy directing people um, who for like the past 20 years had gone that way to work and but, suddenly. Yeah, they, they don't. people don't like change. No. Did no. did you get involved in any of the investigation or the the, the search stuff on that? No, not 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 for that one. No. no, not for that one. Purely purely uniform standing on uh, standing on cordons for that, which you know it, that had its moments because again people think oh you're just standing on a cordon. But I I remember a, I was a sergeant at the time and one of the PCs calling me over and saying all oh, these people they're they're looking for somebody who they and this was probably about three days afterwards. Heartbreaking. They're looking for someone. Uh, and I don't quite know what what to tell them to do. So I went across to chat to them, and they were holding this this photograph of this um, young lady they were looking for, who's a family member. And all I could say to them was, you know, have you spoken to Casualty Bureau? You need to phone. And they said, we've done that. We've been to the hospital. She's not there. She's not there. She's not there. And um, I said, well, you need to speak to Casualty Bureau. You know, again, if you've not spoken to them, you need to phone them up and give them the details, and, and they will keep in touch with you. And I think I think sometimes people think people police officers go to jobs and you walk away and you've forgotten all about it. But that one, I can remember in the days after that, as the papers started to publish photographs yep. of those who'd been killed. Yeah. Looking every day at the pictures being published to see if she was there, and mm. um, one day she was with the same photograph that they presented to me yeah. at the corner, and you just think. You know, and that was how many years ago? Yeah, and I've not forgotten that one. No. And, and there's stuff you don't forget. There's, no, there, there are people who right. stay with you and jobs that stay with you. Yeah, there are. And, you know, the good and the bad. And you just think, yeah. I, I, I interviewed um, Andy Heyman, who was the deputy commissioner yeah. at, at the time. Yeah. And he was sitting in his office when it all happened. And his, mm-hmm. his deputy walks in and said, There's a bomb. And it's like, Well, what do we do now? Because it, we, yeah. you know, one bomb we could cope with, but when there's a series of them, yes, I say cope yeah. with. But and then he he went to a briefing, and a and a father stood up and said that his son had got off of the tube after the bomb, and then got on the bus at Tavistock Square. Uh, mm. And 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 these things, look, we are human. 
Yeah. We we maintain. Exactly. You know, the, the 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 press would have it that we're not. And for every bad officer, there is a hundred and thirty six point four thousand that aren't. You know, you, yeah. you, there's a very small minority of people that let us down. Us, I still see us as being part of the family, and we still maintain our feelings around the work that we under. We we had a gallows humour, and we had banter, but that didn't stop us from carrying out our a professional job. No, exactly. You you have what I call police mode. You go into police mode. Yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. Uh, Which you know may not necessarily be be good for us long term, but you do go into police mode because you know who who else is going to help people you know when you go to certain jobs like that who else is going to do anything you yeah. know it's it's down to us, That's us. yeah absolutely it's down right. to us. so you, you you progress through and you get to 2020 yeah uh, 26 years and 11 months later you decide <laughs> that you're gonna put your ticket in but yeah and what was the motivation to leave um i'd always said i'd look at going when i got to 25 years right uh, and I kind of drifted on because, of course, 2020 was the year of COVID. Yep. So it was all, you know, it was all mixed up at that point. At that point, I was working predominantly in an office job. Um, I was acting as police liaison on the forces accommodation um, programme. And I've been doing that a little while. But I'd always been somebody who had other interests. So I'd done my tour guiding courses the city had kind of reignited an interest in, in history. And one of the projects I got involved with, with the accommodation program, was the relocation of the City Police Museum to the right. Hall. So I started to get really interested in, in history again. Uh, I do family history as well. And it, it was the thought that, you know, I've, I've gone over the 25 years um, that I said I'd go. And I really missed... I miss doing uniform patrol, I suppose. I miss doing uniform stuff, but physically I couldn't do it anymore for various reasons. And uh, I just decided it was time to go off and and do other things. So I kind of did everything in one go. I retired and I moved house at the same time, which in the year of COVID was not really that easy. Tortuous. (laughs) It was. It was torturous. And how did you prepare yourself to do the, the tour guiding stuff? And, and what does that look like? If if I wanted to do it today, mm. are you a blue badge or, or? No, blue badge takes a few years and is very expensive. expensive. Um, but a friend of a friend had done the Clark and Well and Islington guiding course, which I think today they just call themselves Islington Guides. And he'd said, if you want to go on a course that doesn't just teach you the history of the area, but gives you the guiding techniques, I found this one really good. Uh, so I went on the Islington course, and indeed it is an absolutely an absolutely excellent course, uh, which was accredited at that time by the University of Westminster. Oh, right. So you ended up getting a diploma when you finished your course. And so you, you go one evening a week, you do, I think it's two two Saturdays a month. So you do inputs um, from lecturers on the evenings where you learn about the history of the area. You do presentations and then you go out and you, you prepare your your stops, as they call them. And then you gradually build up to being able to, for the exam walk, to deliver 12 stops. So you could deliver any one that you're, you're asked to do. So I did that course initially. And then I think it was a couple of years later, because a lot of my family on my father's side, come from the Camden area. Right. Uh, I did the Camden course. Oh, fantastic. So, well, so now I'm I, I'm leading a group next week, actually. So now I, I develop my own walks, um, design those, and then go out and deliver them. Well, I, 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 I don't hold this against me, but I am a failed, <laughs> I'm a failed mason, all right? I'm, okay. And Clerkenwell mm. used to be the Masonic Centre. Mm. It was Pitney Bowes. Had it, and then it. I think it was the magistrates' court before that, and then Pitney Bowes had it. Then it became yes. a Masonic centre. Well, yeah. I worked on the murder of a man by the name of Raphael Conrad Chapchik, who was executed mm. out in Epping Forest, and okay. we had suspects who have never been charged, but we had some film. They'd they'd videoed themselves, and opposite Clark and Will Masonic centre 
there mm. was a nightclub that used to be on the very corner of the of or a bar and nightclub, which you, and I recognised it from this video. And they'd and and they'd they'd all been in there. All these suspects have been in there. Oh, <laughs> so I know. And because you've got Hatton Garden down the That's road, right. and all, all the all the fantastic sites there, the meat market, and it's um, which yeah. which I understand is moving. If somebody, if it is yeah, they've decided at long last that it'll be it'll be shipped out. So um, they're they're having the new Museum of London is taking over some of the buildings. Oh, is it? Because I mean, Billingsgate's going as well. As I understand it, but the original Billingsgate is at Lower Thames Street, just down by the on the way yep. from the Tower yeah, London into the city. They moved out to East London a while ago. Yeah, that's right, out to yeah. Canary Wharf, and that's going now. And I assume that right. that will become buildings. So, how often do you go out on tours? Oh, it's really ad hoc. I kind of um, I do it f- fairly often locally during the summer months. So I'm part of some heritage tours in the local area, which they're all free tours. I, I do it to keep my skills up. So. I'll go out at least once a month during the summer. And then it's very, very kind of ad hoc. Um, so we've been approached about a walk uh, for next week, which we're doing. And then I hope to do a little bit more this summer because I've got a, a couple of walks that, that need an airing, if you like. I've not done them for a little while. So they'll be in the Clerkenwell area and um, the City of London because the, the very first walk that I designed was one on the history of the city police and law and order wow. in the city. So... Before COVID, you used to do really quite a good trade with usually American criminology students yes. who would come over and want to tour. Um, and the inevitable question, which often happened even before the end of the war, could be, why don't you carry guns? That was always asked <laughs> to put money on that one. Why don't you carry guns over here? Oh, I know, I know. Yeah. I haven't got long enough to explain why, but, yeah, we'd, we'd be shooting each other instead of stabbing each other. But um, <laughs> Yes, yeah. With because you're involved in you like police history, don't you? You're, that's your yes. that's one yeah. of your one of your things. Are you involved in the police history society as well? Is that yeah? I sit on the committee for the the police history society, and um, it has. I mean, we we we're emailed things from time to time. It goes to the whole membership. Some really weird and niche questions, but inevitably there's a member that can answer them or that can help people. And um, it's a it's a really good society and. Yeah, you get a journal every year, and a, a, an article of mine was published in in one of their journals a couple of years ago. So yeah, I, I sit on the committee for that and do a lot of my own work, mainly on the City of London Police, the history of the City of London Police. Yeah, and that, I mean that's a fascinating story in itself. And people don't. I'm glad that the city remain as an independent police service. Uh, I, I think if it got swallowed up by the Met, and, and I think the Met are looking at going into smaller sizes. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, but I, you know, it is it is different. I mean, the city of London is different. There's different uniforms and different standards and different funding streams and everything else. But the history is quite strong, and the recruitment history used to have to be a certain height and be able to swim. Yeah. yeah but because you had yeah. the, the Thames on the doorstep, so I think that I mean, at one point they had to be six foot um, to join the city police. But it seems to. Like all these things, it will vary according to the recruitment pool. So if you have yeah. loads of people wanting to join the police, you can be a bit a bit fussier about you. So you put the standards up yes. a little bit higher. Yeah. But I've, I and I don't know if this story is true, but the story that I've heard is because, you know, the city streets are so narrow and thronged with people, you needed to be taller um, in order to be able to be seen above the, the right. heads of everybody. Um, that could I, well be so true. This paper that I did for the the police history society journal talks about height and it said that at the time the average victorian male was five foot seven oh, right. and the city wanted you to be five foot ten without without your shoes on and right. obviously you then put the helmet on top so that's bringing you up to you know good six foot i i um had the pleasure of interviewing a guy called mick thwaites who was a cadet in the city Okay. And yes. his his story yeah. is very interesting because he was on duty when the Moorgate bomb went off, and because a police cadet was killed. Yes, um, she was. She had a leg amputated. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yes. She had a leg amputated. That's yeah. that's right. And he also was one of the first people at the Old Bailey bombing because the okay. cadets were dispatched to it, and then he left and he went on a, a magical tour of the Far East. Got caught up in mm. Tehran. During the '79 crisis, came back and joined uh, Essex, and but his story is very good. But what he also talks about <clears throat> was the Operation Countryman, and the, he he was one of the first people on the scene for the for Daily Mirror. Was it the Daily Mirror murder? Yeah, 
um, yeah. security guard. Yeah. And yeah, he, he tells some really, really interesting stories for that. And mm. but I mean, you you pulled a face there, and this is this, some of this will go out as like snippets. <laughs> the problem we've got is that the police service is no different to any other walk of life. No. So we're, we're representative of the public we serve. In, indeed. forgotten. Indeed. And I think that of the 136, 137,000 police officers, the handful that let us down are literally mm. that, a handful. And if you yeah. took a town and put every, you know, per person, 136,000 people in, in a town, there would be more criminality and more bad behaviour than the 136,000 police officers who work yeah. so bloody hard to keep us safe. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree with you. But the trouble is the good work doesn't make the headlines necessarily, does it? It's the, um, you know, the, the clickbait is in the, the bad headlines. But but the, the, you're absolutely right. But the, the problem you've got is that the police do not put out the good news stories. Mm. They'll put they'll put out that such and such, such and such was sacked for gross misconduct and they'll put all that out. But the mm. good news stories get buried they should be standing on top of St Paul's shouting out, this is what we've done this week. Mm. This is how we're, you know, improving, how we do. But, but it's all very, very yeah. um, so passe. Mm. It's so low level. They don't yeah. project themselves very well. Yeah. It, it's interesting you say that because I, you know, obviously I, I joined the job what, in 93 and... The force, the forces get beaten up a lot about diversity. Yes, during my service, divert. You're not good at diversity. You need to improve. You need to this. <laughs> and then I'd go to places, and I remember speaking to somebody who was going to retire, and he went for a job doing security somewhere. And this would only have been about ten years ago. And he asked about, "Oh, have you got any women on the team?" And the answer was, "Oh, this isn't a suitable environment for women." And I thought in the job, if you'd said that, you just wouldn't have said it. You'd have been hauled over the coals for it. And I think that there are lots of ways, because we repeatedly get beaten up about it, that we're actually better than some organisations outside because we're very, very conscious of it. Massively. And we've been that way. Certainly since 1990, we've started pressing, Mm. you know, the changing things and getting things changed and... and I just, I do, I, I, I feel for the modern officer. I think diversity, mm. I think it's right that if you are gay, mm. black, Chinese, whatever, you get mm. a same, but but yeah. get recruited on your merits. Yeah. Get recruited because you are good at doing that job or that you want to do that job for the right reasons. And I mm. think sometimes quality, and this is very controversial, is sacrificed over diversity. Mm. It, there's certainly a risk. There's certainly a risk from that. I've worked with some brilliant, brilliant people who come from diverse backgrounds. Mm. Yeah. I've worked with some complete and utter idiots who come from, you know, the the yeah. heterosexual white standard. Yeah. You know, I've worked with, so exactly. But I've also worked with some brilliant white individuals, and I've worked with some rubbish diverse mm-hmm. people that come from a diverse background. So it just doesn't. We're, mm. we're the society is a melting pot. Oh yeah, yeah, uh, without a doubt. And and history, which is what you know, one of the things we're talking about, mm. will bear that out. You know, in a hundred yeah. years' time, they will say, "God, did they they got that wrong, didn't they?" <laughs> or they got that right. You know, yeah, it, it, it's um, yeah. yeah, it is, yeah. And you're you're always looking at history through different prisms. You know, yeah, absolutely. People are look at it in different ways. Yeah, from abso- different abso- aspects. absolutely. Yeah. Did you know Ali Yule? Alison yes. Yule. Uh, I, know I did her. an awful lot, a lot of work with, with Alison back in, oh, gosh, 2006. I worked in the emergency planning for a while. Oh, I see. And we were looking at implementing all the recommendations from um, 7-7. Yes. So I worked with Alison on, I suggested we should, we should do something like nominated survivor reception centres in the city because it was so easy and you yeah. can have this, you know, community that's willing to help. And yeah, did a lot of work with Alison around that time, around yeah. Cashty Bureau and survivor reception centres. Yeah, I still I still speak to her to this day because yeah. I, I, yeah. I was um, I met her at V. I was the bronze commander for crime, and she came mm-hmm. on an attachment. I was a DCI over there, and oh, she okay. came on a, on a, uh, on an attachment sort of thing. But that's that's by the by. Uh, 
before we conclude this interview, and this is something that I – is there anything you'd like to add, alter or correct in relation to the statement that you've made today? Oh, I don't I don't think so. Um, I mean, obviously, the, the job has changed a lot since I joined it. I was I was very pleased I joined Sussex before I joined the city. Right. Because uh, it gave me a, a totally – each force gives you a different perspective yes. on policing very much, so there's, there is a vast difference. So I was really pleased um, that I've – I've been allowed, if you like, to have the two different perspectives um, on policing, but um, I think my I think my solicitor would probably tell me to to stop talking at this point. So, <laughs> well, I'd like I'd like to thank you for um, taking part in today. If there's anything I can do with the society, please let me know. These are these interviews are out there. If people want to use them, if they, you know, just store them, do whatever they want to do to them. Um, and I would, you know, if there's anything I can get involved in, I would absolutely love it because history okay. no, is pretty good, is part of my thing. Well, look, take care of yourself. Thank you so much for your time today, no, and no I will worries. speak to you again. And I hope that you've enjoyed your experience on this podcast. Yeah, it's been really good. And if any, if you contact anybody in the future and they're in two minds about doing it. Let them listen to this because I'll say it's been it's been nice swinging the lamp. It's been really good. Brilliant. Thank you very much. Have a great day. And you. Thanks Take a lot. Take care. God bless. Bye Cheers. Now. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.